0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The person can impact on your business for years to come. So when you need to find that next person to help grow your business, LinkedIn Jobs is the spot for you. It will help you find the next person to help grow your business and take off. LinkedIn Jobs will match the right talent with your job role. And fast LinkedIn has over 675 million members worldwide and LinkedIn will screen those candidates hard and soft skills you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast it's no wonder a new person is hired off of LinkedIn every eight seconds to find the right person for your business today go to LinkedIn Dot com slash team for $50 off your first job posting. That is linkedin.com slash team. Go there today. Terms and conditions apply. It's the moment of the evening. Every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey. Crack open a LaCroix Please put your hands together And make a little noise For your favorite wildcatters The handsome Bosco Boys Ooh, Bosco's Boys The boy well, at least one of us says this is Scott. Grant is off in an undisclosed location solving all the problems that currently plague the world. And there isn't anyone in the world who is better equipped to handle that than Grant. Um, luckily, with this being a solo show, there is quite a bit to talk about since it was a very eventful random week in April during a global pandemic when it comes to k Athletics, specifically the basketball team. Um, we're going to jump into it. The biggest piece that happened this past week is kind of a com- combination. David Sloan, the senior-to-be, will be transferring away, and Rudy Williams, who's a Juco point guard, will be coming in. So you're swapping David Sloan for Rudy Williams in that juco point guard juco guard position and it is interesting because now this is i believe three straight years where we've seen a junior transfer come in play for one year and then leave so that is a very uh an interesting dynamic i don't know if that has more to say about how k-state demands out of its players whether it's more the individuals or if it's about juco ball players trying to translate into Power 5, Power 6 college basketball in today's game. I'm sure it's a combination of all three of them. Nothing is black and white anymore. Um, so it's there's always a little bit more nuance. There's always a little bit of a mixture of the three. Um, but I, I'm i in no place to say which of those three would be the most dynamic. But it is very interesting. And now, this time next year, all eyes will be on Rudy Williams. Will he be another... One one season and out, JUCO guy. Uh, we're just gonna have to wait back and see. But with David Sloan leaving, uh, he was one of the seniors to be. He's the only guy who is returning with any substantial amount of experience playing the point guard in Bruce Weber's system. Which, when you have Nigel Pack coming in, a guy who uh, a lot of cat fans are hoping is going to be the point guard of the future, one of those alphas. One of these, you know, in the locker room leaders that Bruce Weber really depends on, he's gonna have literally no one to learn from in that position. So, he, he The biggest thing when it comes to him, when he can finally get on campus, when he can finally get to practice, Pack is going to have to be a sponge, taking in everything he can to learn how to play that position for K-State. Rudy Williams will have to be the same. We'll touch on him a little bit later. So it is a little concerning from that point that, hey, Davidson's gone. There's no experience at that position. So that does make me worry a little bit. I think we were all in the position where we knew that next year was going to be probably, hopefully a more enjoyable season, Um, but it's going to be a struggle anyways. We came into this past season hoping, hey, NCAA tournament is uh, the hope and most people expected it. That might've been um, a little misguided. Um, Maybe folks had a little bit too much optimism based on, What truly was coming in, lack of uh, leadership experience, lack of uh, alpha experience coming back. But I think next year, at least if we're being honest with ourselves, the hope is the NIT, NIT bubble might be the realistic expectation. And when maybe the most important spot on the floor, the point guard, has no experience coming back. Especially in offense and defense, that Bruce demands so much out of whoever the lead guard is, does make me a little concerned. Um, anyone who was who has been listening over the you know last few months would pick up that I had quite a bit of hope for David Sloan taking another jump next year because he never uh, really got an offseason, he never really got to practice and learn the offense and defense. While not being hurt, he came in with an injury. He never really got into that physical condition that Bruce demands out of his guards. So I don't think we ever saw anywhere close to the potential of what David Sloan could give you. Um, that is a little disappointing. Now I've laid it all out, you know, especially with you know lack of practices, the amount of time for these new point guards to actually sit down and learn how to run the offense, how to be the focal point of the offense um, is going to be cut down. I do think it's going to have an impact on the 2021 season. Uh, Now the question is how much of that impact? I think it's relatively minimal. Even when I was trying to be optimistic about what David Sloan could do in year two with some offseason work, being the senior in the locker room, um, most of the hope, if not 100% of it laid with the sophomore class and the incoming freshman class. Now, is that going to force the newcomers to take on more responsibility early? Maybe take some knocks and some bumps earlier than maybe they were going to have to? Maybe, but if you guys go back to what we were saying early on in this basketball season, especially when things started to take a turn, uh, we were advocating for just playing all the freshmen, all the minutes. Uh, all of them ended up, when they were healthy, being around 20-minute players, so it, it worked out. But I think it will be valuable for the future of the program to really depend on Pac to be that guy uh, getting the majority of the minutes at the point guard spot as soon as possible. If you put a gun to my head, I think Rudy Williams, who we'll talk about here right, you know, here in a couple seconds, will be that day one starter. But I'm hoping by Big 12 play it is Pac running the show. But as we've seen with Bruce, he is very hesitant to lean on those young point guards if he has another option. You have to go back to, you know, Cam Stokes is really the only true point. Well, he did with Javon Thomas. Actually, I think Sean Neal Williams is the exception here. So I I was trying to extrapolate the most recent development that was Sean Neal Williams and make that a rule for all of Bruce's tenure. Uh, because with the history of Javon Thomas and uh, Nigel Johnson coming in, they played a lot of minutes early. Cam Stokes played a lot of minutes early at that point guard spot. So he has done it when he's needed to. So I hope that he gets back to that. I hope Sean Neal Williams was just a blip on the radar and Pack does get to be the lead point guard most of the season. Um, but, you know, like I said, Rudy Williams is committed. He's a Juco point guard. He's going to be 6'3", so he's much taller than Nigel Pack. So you're going to be getting a different body out there of a Juco player. I'm hoping that translates over a little bit better. Uh, this, this past year in Juco, he did average 21 points a game. He shot over 50% from the field, 36.4 from three, and he shot 80.7 from the foul line. Also average. assists and 6.7 rebounds. He truly was a do-it-all point guard for his junior college squad. Again, we've seen it now time and time again in, you know, the rebirth era of K-State basketball. Carl B. Irving, he was a solid player, uh, he and he was a JUCO guy, but none of them have truly been game-changing players. Even though the hope and the hype has, you know, surrounded Sloan, has su- surrounded uh, Austin Trison just hasn't panned out. So I'm going to try my best not to do that again for Rudy Williams, because if you know recent history is going to tell us anything, he's going to be an okay best player. Uh, who takes a little bit of time to adjust to it. But, you, you know, you don't hate seeing shooting numbers like that. At the end of the day, uh, the biggest issue K-State had this season was scoring the ball, finding a guy who could shoot. So if you see a field goal percentage above 50 and you see a three-point shooting percentage above 35, you know, it's, it's nice to have. It's nice to have that. I would rather have a Juco product who has that stat line versus a guy who doesn't. But as we've seen the last few years, uh, the JUCO success does not immediately transfer over. So maybe Rudy Williams is the guy who breaks the mold. Maybe he's the guy who uh, gives K-State a little bit more hope in the JUCO ranks. And hell, we're, we're due. Uh, K-State is due for an impact JUCO player. But again, how many of those really are out there at the high major level of college basketball anymore? Not, not a ton. Not a ton. So I'm not gonna hold my breath, but I'm hoping he's a solid player who allows Pack to learn, but is okay enough stepping aside when Pack is ready to take the reins. So then it really comes down to the question uh state fans debated on Twitter message boards. I'm sure it happened uh, you know, on Skype calls, however people are communicating nowadays. Who would you rather have next year? Sloan or Williams. I would tell you guys that maybe it doesn't matter. Um, I'm someone who I I really want K-State to get back to postseason play, but at the end of the day, if you're not making the NCAA tournament, um, the NIT ultimately just comes back to more game experience for players. So I don't think best-case scenario with Sloan next year Uh, were necessarily going to be an NCAA team. I think you maybe, best case scenario, you're on the bubble. But I don't think that has anything to do with him. I think that has to do with the sophomores taking a big jump in this uber-talented freshman class coming in and hitting the ground running. So I ultimately say, eh, it doesn't really matter who would be better next year. I think in a vacuum, I would say Sloan. But hey, next year really... I don't. I, I hate saying seasons don't matter because that's not true. And maybe crazier things have happened. They could find their way into the NCAA tournament. But I don't think that the difference between what Sloan would give you next year and what Rudy Williams will give you next year is big enough to really have a massive impact. Now, I could listen to an argument that based on Rudy Williams' height, um, his you know more athletic ability than David Sloan, I could listen to arguments that saying, hey, that's a bonus, that, that's a plus, pl- and you get them for two more years. I could listen to that argument. I I don't think it'll ultimately matter, though, because I'm that bullish on PAC. So we'll see what happens. Um... But yeah, if everyone I'm sure was paying attention with one departure and one arrival, that still leaves one scholarship open. So there's going to be at least eight newcomers on the roster next year. And there has been a lot of talk on message boards, Twitter again, about how much roster turnover Bruce has had. And then people have even looked at not just this year, but the entire time Bruce has been here, how much roster turnover there's been. And I'm not going to sit here and say that it's fine. There's nothing to worry about. No big deal. Because it's a lot. It is a lot. I mean, Frank had a ton of guys who transferred, and that kind of became the MO of Frank Martin. But we've seen an even higher percentage of guys transfer out under Bruce Weber. Again, you've seen mass exoduses, and then you've had some seasons where it's been one or two guys. I'm not saying that this is good. I'm not saying it's, you know, fine. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying really anything. I think it is it has become the reality of college basketball in today's day and age. While it is a little bit worse than Frank's years, it's a percentage point. I believe someone broke it down only a 3% higher Transfer rate than the guys under Frank. And again, that could be off if anyone wants to fact check me, tweet it into Bosco's Boys or Scott Wildcat on Twitter. It's not egregiously worse than Frank Martin, it's in the exact same ballpark as Bob Huggins has had every year at West Virginia. It is in the exact same neighborhood as everything that's gone on at Iowa State under Hoiberg and the Clown Prom over there now. This isn't egregiously worse than where it is of any non-blue blood uh, college basketball program. I think K-State fans, and this isn't just with the transfers, it's with everything, people get so caught up on... Some of and again they're they're lowlights. I'm not I'm not in the business of trying to minimize how bad this season is or how bad some of Bruce's seasons have been or or the transfers. I'm not trying to minimize any of that. But when you live in a market like most of K State's fan base is in between, you, you know the Kansas borders and kansas city metro the only other program you're ever hearing about is ku and they're your most hated rivals and they have had a stranglehold on a sport uh, in the conference for this and you know basically most people's you know immediate memories and that sucks it's not fun and i hate it but when that's the only program that you have day in day out coverage of in your media markets You lose sight of how many transfers are happening in college basketball. Again, if you guys want to be mad about it, I'm not going to tell you not to be mad. It sucks. You're losing, you know, half the guys you recruit before they're even juniors, seemingly. So, It's not great. I hope this class can turn it around, but I do think there's a hyperbolic nature amongst K-State fans, especially in all things basketball, because that's the only other program you are hearing on Sports Talk Radio. You're hearing on the news. You're talking to your friends about it. It's just in your face. Now, if you're, you know, If you're hearing about all the transfers happening at Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma all these years, West Virginia, day in, day out to the extent of how you hear about the other in-state team I think the reaction to this much turnover may be different. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm selling folks short. Um, that's just where my head's at. Immediately, I had the same reaction. I'm like, God, you know, I'm happy we're moving on from these guys and people are going places where they're going to get the chance to play. And they're opening up scholarship spots for Bruce to go out and fill. Um but I was frustrated by it. It's all these recruiting misses, and again, you need if you want to get to where K State fans want to get, you have to recruit at a better level. And I think we've seen it in the last two classes. But I do think that there is a hyperbolic reaction, uh, or hyperbolic reaction to it because of who the other state and or team in state is. Again, uh, tweet at Bosco's voice. Tweet at me, Scott Wildcat, if you disagree on that. Um, so with the covid 19 pandemic there's like there's going to be football's already seeing it you're you're not getting any spring practices basketball typically would already be doing uh, some spring workouts together they'd be playing pickup in the basketball facility uh this pandemic has knocked out the foreign trip this was supposed to be the year bruce and the team went on their foreign trip which with all these newcomers would have been a great chance for them to learn the offense play exhibition games grow closer as a team so it is it's gone and i that sucks i i think uh it could actually be a massive down point for this team but again I've been trying to do this glass half full I'm trying to do this positivity thing um, over the last few years Um, it's not really working Um, I'm still as pessimistic as always I just try harder which I don't even know if that's worth it but if you are trying to find the positive Bruce is a guy who choreographs almost every move on the floor in games If you're trying to find a positive light, and I'm sure, I'm sure I'm really grasping at straws here. Maybe this is going to force Bruce to just let guys play basketball. He's not going to have the inherent built-in knowledge and enough of these guys come the opener whenever it is. Uh to be able to run the offense and even, quite frankly, run the defense the way he wants to. So I'm thinking if you're trying to find a positive in this very bleak times that we are living in, maybe this is going to force Bruce to just let guys play ball. Because most of the most the most talented players on this team, and no offense to now the two seniors, Mike McGurl, and Levi Stockard and Rudy Williams. But the most talented players on this team are going to be sophomores and freshmen. They're not going to be able to know the offense inside and out like Cam Barry and Dean and X uh, and Mac did. They're not going to. I'm sorry, there's, there's no way. There isn't going to be enough time to learn it nearly well enough to run it the way Bruce Weber wants to. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping this will just allow... Bruce to give himself a break and say you know what let's just let these guys go out there make plays do what they're best at and try to stop choreographing every single detail and movement on the team Um, we'll see what happens let me know what you guys think am I Trying too hard to be positive about this. Is there zero chance we're going to see that? And we're going to see Mike and Levi playing 38 minutes because they know the offense better than these guys. Let me know where you stand on it. I'm trying to be a little positive. Uh, hoping that, you know, just roll the ball out and l- let them just play uh, because the talent is there. Um, the t- they, can, they can get there. Maybe not. I don't know. Again, just trying to be optimistic. But... We'll see. We'll see if it works out. Um, the final basketball note I'm going to touch on, and I think this is one that we will go in a little bit deeper next week. If you're listening to this on Monday, Monday evening, four-star rivals, top 150, Nebraska, Mr. Basketball, All-State, and basically the best basketball player to come out of Nebraska in close to a decade, Donovan Williams is going to be making his commitment. It has, had really come down to in this spring period down to Oklahoma State, Texas, and K-State. Um, it looks like Texas is not going to have enough room to take him. Oklahoma State and K-State have always been seen as the favorites since he decommitted from the in-state Cornhuskers. And if... Experts in the recruiting world are to be believed. I'm thinking this man might come to K-State and be another four-star Rivals Top 150 addition to the Wildcats. And I'll tell you this, I think he might be the crown jewel of this class. I think he has the scoring acumen uh, to the point where him and Sultan Miguel, if they can find a way to work together on the floor, are going to be deadly. Especially couple that in with Dejuan Gordon. I think when, when you see a trio of those three playing the predominant minutes at the 2-3 and three for the next three years to come, it's something to get excited about. I think Donovan Williams might even have the potential to be an NBA guy. Again, uh... As I've demonstrated throughout this entire pod, I've been drinking the Kool-Aid pretty hard over the last couple weeks trying to be positive, Um, but I don't think I'm alone in that assessment when it comes to Donovan Williams, especially his ability to score. This guy knows how to get buckets, and that's what this team desperately was lacking, so uh, pay attention to the twitter Twittersphere message boards, your local news, uh, Monday evening, because I think Bruce Weber is about to land another four star and another Rivals 150 guy, which is going to give him a fab five of Rivals top 150 guys with some complimentary pieces. Also, something of note, if Williams does choose K-State, that will bring K-State up to the, you know, right to the peak of the Big 12 in recruiting, it's going to give you close to a top 15 status, and a little birdie tells me it will put them over KU in the recruiting rankings. So that will be something uh, fun to hold over your KU friends' heads. So be on the lookout Monday. I'm hoping it's going to happen. I feel confident it's going to happen, and I tell you what, you know, next year you're going to have a lot of new faces, but I think you're going to have a lot of fun basketball players to watch when the season eventually comes. So we are going to end this on a little bit of a football note. Um, Nothing too crazy. Big 12 is going to allow teams to have face-to-face Skype meetings with their position coaches uh, for, like, I think, two weeks during all of this. That was limited by the Big 12, but they came to their senses and they are going to uh, allow that. So uh, that's good news. Um, K-State social media has been putting out a lot of fun stuff on Twitter and Instagram. So check out the K-State football accounts on all of that. It's been a real treat to see some of these guys. Skylar uh, Thompson, QB1, did a full hour on Instagram Live, and that was a treat. But everyone knows that I like to occasionally gamble a little bit. Caesars out in Las Vegas, out in the desert, put out all their 2020 football season win totals. And I'm going to share those with you guys, and I'm going to give you just a quick gun-to-my-head prediction. Um, tweet me in what you think is the best number. What number are you most confident in if you were a betting person? And we'll see uh, who ends up being right. Um, Baylor, eight wins is the over-under. They have Ole Miss, Incarnate Word, and Louisiana Tech. Uh, this type of the, the shutdown of spring practices and the lack of in-person instruction really is going to hurt teams uh, with first-year coaches. Baylor has Dave Aranda. Ole Miss has Lane Kiffin. They're going at it. I believe that's a neutral site game. I think Baylor ends up winning all three of these, and then it comes down to how many Big 12 wins are they going to get. I'm going to say under. I, I don't like the eight. I don't like that number. I think they could be in that ballpark, but I think it ultimately comes down to I think it is a much better chance. They only win four Big 12 games versus them winning six Big 12 games. Iowa State, they're over under eight wins. They're non-con. They have to go to Iowa. They host UNLV. They host South Dakota. They're not beating Iowa. They'll win the other two, and they're definitely not going to win seven Big 12 games. This is my number one most confident pick of all of these. Iowa State under eight. And that's not even me trolling on Iowa State. They're replacing a lot of guys up front. They're definitely not going to win in Iowa City. Uh, Iowa State, I would say there's a much better chance they win six games than nine games. There's no chance Iowa State goes over eight and I don't care what the national media says. Matt Campbell is an okay coach. He's not legendary. And Iowa State is nowhere near that cream of the crop level in the Big 12, which is what it would take to go 7-2 and two in this conference. Iowa State under 8. KU sitting at 3.5 over under. Boston College, New Hampshire come to David Booth Memorial Stadium, and they're going to Coastal Carolina. That's another under for me. They don't have a quarterback. Les Miles has lost it. They have no leadership. They have no direction. Um, I have a lot of friends who are KU football fans, season ticket holders, uh, my brother being one of them. I feel bad for some of those guys, um, but I don't feel bad for the basketball-only fans who showed up once every 10 years only to see their team get smoked. Um, it's going to be a really long year for KU football. I don't. I. I'll be honest. When I first started hearing less miles to KU, I thought to myself, "There's a chance he could get them back to a bowl game." That's not never gonna happen. The best thing Les Miles can do for KU is just get them into a position where they have scholarship distribution that at least resembles a Division one football team, and then pray that you know they make the right hire the next time. I I, ugh, man, I tell you, what, it's just it's just an ugly decade for KU football. I think this next one's gonna be ugly as well. So under three and a half, Oklahoma over under ten wins. Tennessee at home at Army, Missouri State, than the Big 12 round robin. I'm saying over. Again, I would have liked that number to be nine and a half, um, but there's no way this team is not winning at least 10 games. It might be a push, uh, but they're not losing three. There's not enough talent in the Big 12 to beat them three times, and they're not dropping any of those non-con games, even with a freshman, Spencer Radler, at quarterback, I think that the offensive system they 're running and the talent they have on defense is just too much for the big twelve. Um, I think the most likely record for them is eleven and one that cash is an over ten oklahoma state eight and a half over under this is my second most confident pick with the over. I think Oklahoma State is going to end up in that ten win range, giving a little bit of cushion. Their non-conference is Oregon State, Tulsa, and Western Illinois. That is Charmin's soft schedule. Oregon State is trash. Tulsa, trash. Western Illinois, trash. They're going to get three there. And then I think the only Big 12 games they're going to not be a favorite in are Oklahoma and maybe Texas, depending on how Texas performs early in the season. So I have Oklahoma State over 8.5. Next one, tcu 6.5 6.5 at Cal, at SMU, in Prairie View. I'm saying under. I think Cal is going to be a very salty Pac-12 team, and I don't know if Gary Patterson has it in him to have another bounce-back big season in the Big 12. So I'm going, to, I, I'm going to say under. It wouldn't surprise me if they got to seven, but I think there's a much better chance they end up with a five or six wins than seven. Texas over under nine, uh, US, USF and UTEP at home in the non-con, but they're going to LSU. So I, as much as I'd like to see them do it, I, I don't think that Texas as a football program is mentally strong enough to go into Baton Rouge and win. Even though LSU is going to be breaking in a new quarterback, they lost a lot of folks off that national championship team. I just don't see them having the mental uh, – fortitude to get that win so there's one loss then the question becomes can they go eight and two or eight and one in big 12 play to get that over nine I don't think so I think honestly I think they're going to end up being nine and three um, but I think there's a much better chance they trip up versus a K-State I don't think they're going to beat Oklahoma I I don't think they're going to beat Oklahoma State so I think that they end up the season 8 and 4 9 and 3 so that would say I'm going to take the under there. Texas Tech over under 6 wins, they're non-con at UTEP, Arizona at home and Alabama State at home. I'm going to take the under as well. They have had injury trouble at quarterback the entire time. I just don't see them getting to seven wins. Again, that's one where if it was at five and a half, maybe I'd say over. I think six is a really good number, but I, I think there's a better chance to end at five than seven. West Virginia, over under five and a half. Florida State, Maryland, Eastern Kentucky, and the non-con, then round robin. Um they had a really rough year. I believe in Neil Brown. I think he's going to get them back, but I don't think they're going to go to a bowl game. I think there's a real chance they lose to both – Florida. they will lose to Florida State, no doubt. Uh, Maryland, a little bit closer to Tossum. I, I, I'm not a big Maryland believer, but I, I, they might lose that. And then all of a sudden, if you're only getting one win, you – That would mean you need six in Big 12 play to go over five and a half now. I don't see it. Then finally, K-State, over under currently at six wins. Vandy, Buffalo, and North Dakota. Those are three wins for K-State. I'm going to chalk up KU as a win. You get Texas Tech at home. I think that's going to be a win. Then all of a sudden, you pull off one upset versus Oklahoma, Texas, uh, Oklahoma State, then you're there and then you just have to win one toss-up game. Or you could just win, you know, two or three toss-up games. I think this is going over. I think that a best case scenario is in that 8-9 win range. I, I think we were asked during the Q&A what I thought the ceiling was. I think I probably said 8. Um, I think they're going to get to that 7 or 8 win mark. Um, possibly even 9. Who knows? But I, I like that over for K-State at 6. So, Tweet me in. What do you guys think about those early over-unders, those totals? I'm sure those are going to move quite a bit by the season. Um, Before the football season starts, I'm sure Grant and I both will touch on all those over-unders. Again, I might change my mind. I'm not sure. But tweet me in what you think is the biggest lock of the win total overs and unders for Big 12 teams this year. Uh, But, guys, that's going to do it. I hope everyone had a happy Easter uh, I hope later tonight on Monday we are celebrating another four-star commitment at K-State. I'm feeling confident. I'm feeling good about that. And uh, just, you know, keep on trucking through throughout this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. I know there's a lot of folks out there that are seeing job furloughs, layoffs, lack of hours. And then there's the essential folks who are going out there who are risking themselves in uh, exposure. Uh, to keep to keep things going, so just keep everyone your thoughts and prayers. We love you guys, and uh, just keep rocking with us. We're gonna keep keep pumping out shows all off season. So, uh, with that said, everyone have a good week, and uh, we'll be talking to you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.